0: Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Podcast. I often sound a bit husky sometimes on the podcast, and the reason is is I have to get up early sometimes to accommodate time zones. So I was up before six this morning so I could have my porridge and sit down and talk to my my good friend, the one and only, the baseball king, the sports fanatic, the sleep technician king, the man they call Brendan Duffy, other people call the legend. Brendan Duffy joins us today from the great country, of USA, more notably the areas around New York, Long Island. Brendan, how are you?
1: Good morning to you. Good evening over here. Doing great, thank you.
0: Brendan, where exactly are you? You you in the Long Island area, is it?
1: I'm in Long Island, and when I moved here, I came from the Bronx. They said it was a Long Island. It really is. Um, I'm about (laughs) two hours out, and there's another two hours to go after this. So somewhere in the middle of Long Island on the North Shore as opposed to the South Shore.
0: So you're like what they say in Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth.
1: Yeah, we're there. Uh, we're on the we're on the harbor side, not the ocean side.
0: Is that the rich side or the poor side?
1: It depends who you ask. Who you ask. <laughs> <clears throat> in my case, it's not not the total rich. We're doing all right. We're happy.
0: We're happy. That's what the poor people always say. <laughs> 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 Brennan, and we're rolling, and we're rolling. We, we are up. live. We are uh, the two, 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 two comedians, we, we'll be like the two guys out of Muppets on the balcony in about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, Br- Brendan, uh, around New York, actually, there's lots of different, like, kind of you know, boroughs or districts or areas. You got like Long Island, you got Manhattan, you got Brooklyn. Um, right. what, what, what's all the would you consider yourself as part of New York or are you outside of New York? How, how do you consider that? Well, we consider
1: ourselves part of New York, but there are. You know, there are some people, believe it or not, that are upstate that yeah. don't consider themselves part of New York, which is interesting because it's more rural. Yeah. So when they go away, they they'll say, "I'm from New York, but not from New York City." Oh, so yeah,
0: yeah, it's, yeah.
1: It's, it's interesting dynamic, but we're we're in and out. One of the one of the great things of living here is you do have, as you probably heard, the Hamptons and the beaches and and that kind of a lifestyle if you want it, but. You can go another hour and a half on train, and you're in New York City. So you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. Although I couldn't understand when I would go to hockey games, the Ranger games, because I, I go to hockey games in the city, and every time we played Philadelphia, <clears throat> I would see all these Flyer fans, Philadelphia Flyers, and I'd say, "How did they get here?" And then I realized it's actually shorter from Philadelphia for them to get to New York than it is from how far out in Long Island I am. <laughs> So it was an hour and 15 minutes for them and two hours for me. Jesus. <laughs> so they're probably asking, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And you said, yeah. I'm from upstate New York, <laughs> not New York City. <laughs> it's yeah. it's of. Cool. I'm not know, from around here. Not yeah. from around there, yeah. I know yeah. speak English. <laughs> um, so Brendan, uh, obviously we'll name it Brendan Duffy. It's not a very American name, so we do share some uh, some. Some royalty from the old country. So, um, yeah. So, was were you born in Ireland, or was your was it your dad, or how did how did that all work out?
1: I was born there. Um, family was born there. Came up when I was about five. Lived in the Bronx, just a couple of blocks from Yankee Stadium. Actually, I used to go watch all the double headers with Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. So there, there's my age. Um, and back in the time when I was an altar boy, the actual players would run to seven o'clock mass and. The priests would go one way and we go the other, uh, to get the Yankees autographs. The priests would wonder where did they go? Uh as soon as he said the masses ended, we were heading towards the limo before they can get back to Yankee Stadium.
0: Yeah, yeah. What was it like um growing up in, in New York back then?
1: It was great. It was great. I mean I have, I you know, the poor kids now their memories are so different, but you know, back then you had stickball and um you had a group of guys who would play roller hockey on, on the street corners. And you got to know what that whole lifestyle was about. So you understand a lot of comedy in New York because they all talk about the old days on the street corners, Um, but you were out. Nobody, you know, nobody was wondering you're going out and that was it. And you were back, you know, in the evening and that was fine. And you were a lot more self-sufficient, I guess. So these guys, they got their head stuck in, in the phones all day and they don't have that outside, you know, outside gathering of groups yeah, we were
0: we were a gang. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We were uh, my wife and I were discussing that recently about. I was just saying I might be the last of the of the generation in my mid forties that, you know, went out in the morning at like eight o'clock in, in on, on your summer holidays you went out at eight o'clock in the morning, and you only yeah. came home. You didn't even come home to go out to the toilet. You only came home for food at lunchtime and dinner. And as soon as you could get back out, you would. There was not was you, there. you wouldn't dare stay inside. And number two. Your parents wouldn't let you anyway. You'd be running out the door. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, if yeah. you see that, they call it a feral cat. You know, that's a feral cat <laughs> lifestyle. You know? They just come and go, and nobody questions and That was us. You know? but we didn't have bike helmets, and somehow we survived. And you know, all the things that were going on. I think that's probably why we're going to survive for a while because we weren't that pure.
0: How's that? And Brendan, for people, for for people listening, you know, with all due respect. You're not younger than me. Uh, you're not no. younger than me, is what I'm saying. So you've be, you've been around New York when it was like pretty fucking dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> so you've you survived like the old New York, not like the uh, the post 2000 and uh, you know one nine eleven New York type of thing. You you survived New York in the seventies <laughs> and eighties, like in the
1: seventies. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually in Manhattan then, so part of the treat was trying to make your way home. So I was trying to get through <laughs> Times Square yeah yeah that's where i was and um uh, yeah there was a lot of a lot of people asked me a lot of questions on the way home <laughs> and a lot of movies that i never got to see <laughs>
0: for those of you who don't know look up the history of Times square the 70s and 80s the movies we are not the like of movies you go to see now and lots of people asking you questions <laughs> were probably were probably hookers <laughs> you got it, you got it. Oh, yeah. excellent so brendan um growing up um you know, in New York, as a, as an immigrant from Ireland, an Irish family, obviously, uh, being a sleep technician or a sleep technologist was not your life's life's calling. And um, no, no. what was your sort of what was your sort of uh, education growing up, and uh, what led you towards sort of sleep te- technology? What was um what was that path like?
1: Oh, the usual. I was a communications broadcasting major, so uh, went to college for broadcasting. Was going to be the next DJ, and, and then reality hit and you had to go out and get a job because it's not cheap around here so I I actually worked in the bank for a lot of time uh Chase Manhattan Bank that's what I was doing in Manhattan and then after that we moved to Florida my I got married we moved to Florida because we said enough of this let's go to Florida and and Disney looks good so we'll go down there so we became immigrants because we left with no family left them all up here and said let's see what it's all about After 10 years of going to Disney, when everybody would come down and want to go to Disney, I said, let's go back because I'm not going to Disney anymore. I'm going to punch the mouse soon. (laughs) So we came back and the first job I saw was at Stony Brook University, which is pretty close to here. Uh, My wife actually got a job out here, teaching at the high schools. And I saw a job and I said, I'm looking for uh, sleep tech. And I was like, this is something I could do. What do you got to do? You got to watch people sleep all night. It Sounds good, right? So I went and applied, and basically, at that time, they were training on the job. It was kind of like where nursing was and yeah. respiratory ther- therapy was. Um, but we got trained pretty quick, and we were alone. I was like, wait a minute. You know, there's some things we're doing with people with, with trachs, and we think that they'll be able to breathe on their own. Have we done this before? No, this is going to be the first time, and you are going to be here all night. So we're going to close the trach. And you monitor and see how things go. So I didn't have gray hair till I took that job. And I got gray hair very fast. But I got a very good experience. And I had very good teachers. And actually, the physician that I worked with over there that hired me, when I came here and became the manager of a, a another facility, I talked her into coming here. And she's still here. So we've been together for 23, 24 years.
0: Excellent. Yeah. She's
1: working. Yeah. So, um so that was it. And I really got enamored in, in the whole science of it. And back then, to show you how old I was, because I, I know you appreciate that, Ian, we were still doing paper. We were doing paper with the lie detector pens, the polygraph pens. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, so we would have 500 reams of paper with all of these tracings going across. And not only were we doing them, but we were mobile. Because if they said somebody on the fifth floor of the hospital needed a, a test upstairs by their bed, I'm like, this is a very big thing of amplifiers. We would roll that up, put it all together outside the room and run a sleep study outside the room uh, because the person needed a sleep study. If you went to take a break, by the time you would get back 500 pieces of paper rolling outside the cart and the nurses wondering what is going on with all this paper rolling. But it was a really good training because if you understood doing it on paper, then once you get to computer, it was easy. Mm-hmm. But what i found really um really difficult with changing was you got used to the pen that would make the heart rate noise oh uh, yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't even have to look so some of these people are bad because they let their have go so long they have cardiac issues so they come in and that pen would keep a nice cadence during the night but once in a while that pen would stop yeah and you would hope hope when you turn around that one pen hopped on top of the other and you just had to pick it up, put it back down. But sometimes it didn't. And I remember one time I was there and I had that pen stop for nine seconds. And all of a sudden it starts. And you're like, my heart and the patient's heart were both stopped for nine seconds. <laughs> and and they did that twice, but you know, then when we went to the computer, I was like, well, how are we going to hear the heart? So I think actually some of the software developers actually put in for the old timers some kind of a cadence click oh, in yeah. the software. So that we could have our heart.
0: So there you go. That's, that's that's a great story to know. Yeah, I knew obviously you knew what the paper. Amy Amy Bender was talking about the paper recently, but yeah. that's where the epochs came from scoring. But, yeah, yeah. But I didn't know about the the heart writing. That's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, a
1: yeah, and, and then the state it was a state university, Stony Brook, so they didn't want to use the full thousand sheets of paper, so they would actually cut it in half, and after 500 pages, somewhere around 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the night, it would roll out, and then you'd have to turn it over, and now you had a blank grid, so you really had to be good, because you had to develop a little um, a little device that you could use, like a little calibration, so yep. that you actually know what oxygen level they were at, because now you didn't have all the grids on the paper, it was totally white paper. Oh, yeah, so yeah, it,
0: yeah.
1: It became really good. Uh, you went to conferences, say hello to the doctors. They're like, you're a tech. I could see the ink on your hands because <laughs> it would take like three days. Just when you would get rid of the ink, it'd be time to go back to work again.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so nearly near like, near like a tradesman, like a plaster or something. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was
1: good ink. It stayed for a couple of days. <laughs> um, and we soldered our own. We soldered our own uh, thermistors. If it broke, we had a soldering iron. And three in the morning, you'd be there with your you know, wires soldering a new so the patient had equipment. So a lot different, you know, I feel like an old fart with my crews because when they work in, they're like, Oh, this is so difficult. We have to, you know, run a, a, a print a, a copy of the study. I'm like, let me tell you what we had to do. <laughs> and I was like, Oh no,
0: I'm at that age. <laughs> you know, uh, You're the guy that met
1: Dr. Demet twice. I was like, yes, I did. <laughs>
0: Poor old Bill he passed away, what was it, last year?
1: Yeah, and it was such fun talking to him, I'd see him at the conferences, and, um, you know, one thing he told me for you guys, for all the research, and you know, I I have to validate everything you're doing, I Mm. I have a lot of respect for, you know, what goes into it, but I spoke to him and I asked him, where did you come up with AHIF five, and he told me, he said, Brendan, he said, we would never be able to do that today. Back then, we didn't have to answer to anybody, so we just looked at a bunch of stuff, and we decided, from what we could see, five looks like the right number. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah. So I was like, so that's how we got to five. So at that time, my age, I was nine, but I didn't feel tired, so I said, I'm never going to worry about it, because I know what he said, where this number came from. When it got to 19, then I became a sleeper user and a believer when I got to age I of 19, so... You know he, he's got some good stories It was a lot of fun and it was you know t- to say you met him just goes to show how young the science really is
0: yeah, yeah that's how I, old i am no i think you're right i think and um for anybody listening an AHI that brendan spoke about is an apnea hypopnea index which is mm. basically like the number of awakenings you have in an hour mm. across a night and um, from you know apneas or hypopnea so like brendan said you might have five events in an hour so they can skyrocket up you know really high numbers um but I think you touched on an interesting point there, Brendan, about Bill Dement, because he was, you know, basically, well, he's called often like, you know, one of the grandfathers of of modern sleep medicine, or the founder, or the father of it, whatever the the yeah. term people apply. But he he is basically the the person who helped us understand what sleep stages are today when we talk about stage one and stage two and stage three and REM sleep and so on, because it was his paper that basically got published to show us which was back, I think, in the late 50s, early 60s. And so, like you said, it's a very young field. Like, it's only really 60 years. And I I was just actually saying this um, on another podcast recently. That's how young sleep medicine is, sleep science is as a field. And then when you start looking at things like, you know, shift work, there was some sort of dabbling in the 80s and 90s, then a bit more in the 2000s, probably since it took off. And if you look at sleep and athletic performance research, it's really only been since about 2010. We see this big, massive increase in the research. So that's a new field as well. So I think and now, now we're probably seeing the uh, increase in what we call chrononutrition. So you, you constantly see these new and emerging fields like, you know, coming out. And the good thing about that is that there's lots of research happening. The bad thing about that is that there's and lots of research happening that, that's hard to keep up with, and there's all these new theories coming out, but I think it's brilliant. I'd rather have too much than too little. So it's, right. you know, like like you were saying, you would have seen a massive change over the last you know, 20, 30 years in this area with all this stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really changed.
1: And, and of course the sports with me, like I, with Dr. Machai, the one I mentioned before, she was hearing me talk about sleep and sports because it was interesting to me just to say, well, I know how I feel working nights and these people are traveling. Yeah, It has to have some impact because as a tech, you get firsthand knowledge of what it's like to constantly go through that shift because the usual tech's life is three, 12 hours overnight. And then try to go back on days because, you know, some people, if they're single or you know, they are able to, they try and stay on the same shift as long as they can. Uh, but most people like me, you have family, it worked out. It had good, advantages and my son played baseball so I would always be able to get to his games. I never had to leave work early. I just had to get up early, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um I would go there and just like you're doing this now, I would go there and I would be unshaven, just woke up and all of a sudden I'm at a baseball game and his players are throwing quarters in my coffee cup and I'm like, I'm not a vagrant. I actually do have a job. I just look <laughs> like this because I got up. Stop already.
0: And, uh, they're like,
1: your father always looks wretched when he gets to these games. He's like, doesn't he have a job? And yes, but I my it's opposite. Uh, so it was a little different, but it afforded me a chance to like not miss basically any of his games. Um, the disadvantage is, you constantly always felt like you were in a fog. Hmm. I would tell my wife, wa- my wife that, come Friday, when I get off because we would get off about twelve o'clock. We had to stay for a staff meeting after working all night. Um, I said, I'm not driving anywhere. I would try and cut my sleep short that day, knowing that I was Mm -hmm. going back to bed that night, but wise enough to say, I'm not getting in the car and trying to drive on three or four hours sleep. I wasn't going to do it. So you manage, uh, you get scared because if you do the research and read the studies about the increase in the cancer, which have worked and things like that, uh, then you know you have to watch yourself.
0: Yeah, it's about having a a risk based approach to it. Yeah, mm. Brenda, did you find um from studying communications at university, and then training as a sleep tech, was there any commonality between those two fields? Did having that More degree so help now. you? More, More so, so now, so now I,
1: because uh, I because um I do a lot of presentations, and I like the kids like Dr. Mita Singh, good friend of both of ours, right? Uh, Sherry, Ma, yourself a lot of places, they can't afford you guys to come and talk about your research. So I'm sort of the cover band for sleep research. It's like, if you can't get you guys, well, we'll get him. He's kind of close. He kind of sounds like him and he reads the same stuff. So I don't do the research, but my job is to use the communication skills and say, how do I get your message as the sleep researchers out to a bigger audience? Whether it be about you know, I'm going to Alabama, which will be interesting. I think they just brought me there to hear a New Yorker speak in Alabama. But I'm going there <laughs> in August. It's like Robert De Niro does sleep. I'm going to uh, to do two talks. and One of them is on Start School Later, uh, of which I'm also the athletic liaison for that group, which is a fancy title for when the coaches call and complain that you're upsetting their team, we get to send them to you because we can't deal with them. You know, yeah, because yeah. nobody, no, oh, this is terrible. If we start school later, we can't get to our games, cutting into practice, things like that. So I'm doing one talk on that and another one on sleep and performance. So I don't have the research, but I use a lot of what you guys put out, hopefully in the right light and bring it to them. And you know, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. And I think that's where the communications comes in because I won't get as wrapped around and I don't say that I can, a lot of the statistics. Matter of fact, I was just working on something before we got on. And I'm like, how do I say that? Is that CHI? Is that Chi Square? Or no, Chi Square. That's for you guys to do. But I yeah. have to look it up and I don't I don't pretend that I know that stuff. I just give them the nuggets as to this is what we're trying to say that sleep is important to performance. School start times impact uh, teenagers based on you know, delayed sleep phase. So I can deliver those nuggets with the help of the stuff that you guys are putting out.
0: No, I think that's brilliant, Brendan. And, and you know, like, you, you know, you've always been passionate about, you know, sleep education and, and getting the message out um, on, on social media platforms and so on, it, which is exactly how we met originally. And so, right. you know, Brendan and I have only met face-to-face once in Vancouver at a conference. But, um, you know, you're always very passionate about that, Brendan, and, and spreading the message and spreading the right message more importantly, because I think, you know, we have seen a lot of, in every discipline, you see a few charlatans out there, a few cowboys that br- just bring out stuff that's based upon one or two studies or, you know, I think what you do as well and what I think is good is that you can, you can give out the information but counterbalance it with, it, just exactly like you said about shift work. We know it's bad, we know this happens, but, you know, we have to do it. So you have to kind of look after yourself and you have to have approaches and, and risk-based approaches in place, just like you said about not driving on a Friday or whatever it might be. So it's about, it's about knowing the risks, the pros, the cons, and then coming up with a solution that suits, you know, the practicalities of it as well. Because I think, um, kind of a side story, I, I presented that conference before I was like kind of working full time in, in the in the sleep world myself. I was uh, working for a mining company, doing fatigue and human performance in the company, and I presented that conference. I want to say I was back in, must have been two. I want to say two thousand and nine, maybe ten the guy, the medical doctor got up and he said, oh yeah, that was, that was great. Like, you know, you've really showed that night shift is bad. He says, um, so if it's such a bad issue, why don't the mines just not work at nighttime? And I just was, I was like, uh, what? I said, why don't they just not work at nighttime? I said, well, that's not feasible. I said, this is like, this company is making about six, $7 billion a year. You know, you are going to cut out half of your operating time straight away that's a lot of money. Yeah, but if it's such a risk and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, it's not as easy as that, you know, it's not, it's not like you can just turn off somebody's of plants. Like, you know, you just like turn it off like you going into bed like a light switch, you know? And yeah. You know and he and he actually made so, a similar comment in another presentation where the guy was talking about <laughs> nuclear power and i thought for a very educated guy this guy is a bit of a fucking idiot really because mm-hmm. like trying to you not just shut down a nuclear power plant and come back in the morning you know yeah. so it just goes to show you about the science can be can be good the research can be good but if you don't have that practical application and marry it up with a, and come up with practical solutions you know, it's it's not really it's not really relevant, you know, and it's all kind of pie in the sky type of research, which um is helpful in, in some times, but the practical application is, is where the rubber hits the road, like you know.
1: It's yeah, and it's like you said, it's the real world that I think it's better for where I'm coming from because I do know limitations. And so some of the things, like you said, that worry me are some of the startup companies will get an application, an app. And go out and start talking to these teams, and all i see them do is sleep hygiene. Yeah. But they could have somebody stop breathing right in front of them on the ride to the game, and they could have a you know somebody, and I've seen this. The person definitely had sleep apnea, and they posted them on a bus, and I'm looking at this kid, big kid, football player, apnea, and they're putting sour patch kids in his uh, sour patch treats in his mouth while the kid's sleeping. Yeah. And, and they're showing it. I had to write to the coach. I was like, you know, they have these contracts with these teams. As If if they think that everything is sleep hygiene, and it's not. There are sleep disorders and it's very important to know them. And it's important to know your limits. So I think I'm blessed that I have this background and folks like you and the doctors that are here to be able to say, Hey, what about this? What about that? And to know, this isn't something that I have the knowledge that uh, other people have and it's appropriate to refer them. Um, I wonder how many of these team-based groups, how many times they've referred to physicians when they should.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point, Brendan, because what I've been doing recently is to frame this problem because I think people use um, these words interchangeably. So what I've been doing is using kind of three level approach. One there's sleep disorders. And then I'll go on to explain that there's over 70 sleep disorders as categorized by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. These are medical disorders, and I emphasize medical. Just like someone has got cancer, somebody can have, you know, central apnea. So I'll really kind of explicitly explain those and the different groupings with them and para-insomnias and so on. Two then I'll say there's sleep problems. This is where you might have challenges, you know, where you're falling asleep, you get a few bad nights sleep. um, The schedule that you, you know, you work or you adhere to is causing you problems, you know, like in baseball or hockey or, or football with all the travel. These are sleep problems that may be derived from the travel. And the third thing then I'll talk about is what you spoke about there is sleep behaviors, which is more individualistic type of stuff where we're looking at more sleep hygiene. And so because you can do all the sleep hygiene things, still have sleep problems, but the sleep problems may be being derived as from a sleep disorder. So if you don't kind of follow that chain up along you're constantly going to have problems and this is um, we encounter this as well with industry where industry thinks that you know if someone has a sleep problem or a sleep disorder that they just ring a psychologist and to talk about it as if it's some sort of mindset so it's we're still in that phase I think where businesses teams and individuals distinguish in those three categories for people and once you when you do start having a conversation with people and you educate them on that you see the lights going on you're like, you can see them going, Jesus, I never knew that. Like one guy said to me recently in a business, he said, I never knew that. Why don't they tell us about that? I said, man, I've been fucking saying it for 10 years. <laughs> it's, I got a podcast, like with nearly hundred episodes and blogs and I, you know, like, oh man, I didn't realize that. I just got a sleep disorder with somebody, you know, who went to bed too late. So we still have a lot of work to do on this education. So I think by then, the more people are banging the drum, using the research, I think the better. So yeah, you know that's I think I mean, that's good what you're doing.
1: We even have one one uh, psychiatrist I believe fr- from one of the universities came here as a patient, and after they got educated just from the time that they were here with us as a patient, they actually left and went on to Stanford, and stuck their head in the door and said, "Now that I've learned as much as I have, I can't believe how many." Antidepressants I might have given out that were probably sleep disorders. You know? Really? Yeah. And yeah, because you know he's just treating what they know. Sometimes if all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail, right? Yeah. Uh, so if people go to him like you say, they feel they have to have the solution. And sometimes they need to say, you know, I'm I'm not sure if I'm the only solution. Let's send you over to sleep disorders. And the other thing they do even like within our own places they call a lot of places sleep apnea centers and it's like, stop calling it a sleep apnea center. If I think I have insomnia, which in a lot of cases probably apnea, but if I think insomnia, I'm not going to go to a sleep apnea center to look for a solution. Yeah. So if you call yourself a sleep disorder center, better yet, sleep and wakefulness disorder center, uh, then you kind of cover the whole gamut. But if you give people the excuse, like you said, they're not they're not educated on the medical side. Certainly we can't expect the public to figure that, yeah, if I'm having trouble sleeping, I should go to the sleep apnea center. It's just not named right. Yeah. Uh, it should be the sleep disorder center. And sleep wakefulness center is really what they should be.
0: Yeah, and no, I think I think you're right. Yeah, we see I see a lot out here in Australia as well, like pharmacies or drugstores, you know, talking about doing sleep apnea testing or we have sleep sleep apnea screening. And I think it needs to be more holistic. Yeah. And whilst mm-hmm. you know, sleep-related breathing disorders probably are the most prom- predominant kind of sleep disorder due to people's, you know, probably just sheer body mass. Um, I think you're right, it needs to be it needs to be more of them. So so that's good. Cool. Brendan, yeah. um, being a being a sleep tech for somebody who's kind of gone, hmm, what's a sleep tech actually do? Can you describe what a sleep technician cur- currently would do in a in a in a lab like yourself or your hospital like your own?
1: Sure. Um, To get back to what I say, at least in the United States, (laughs) some of the states are licensed, some of them are still not. Some of them are trained on the job, some of them are not. Some of them require at least two years. So it's still sorting itself out. uh, And there's a lot of changes. So hopefully they'll go more towards education than they have. Uh, But basically they will do the setup. The setup will include EEG electrodes, some will measure uh, brain waves will also measure respiratory so we can see how people are breathing. We'll have leg electrodes, so we'll measure any kind of periodic limb movements or neurological twitches that possibly are fragmenting sleep. Uh, EKG, which I mentioned before, so we'll put a couple of leads there. And sometimes we'll put arm leads on. Um, we get different people come in with maybe parasomnias, so you want to uh, set up leads for that. Or other people might have nocturnal seizures. Uh, one of the people I had back on paper days was a gentleman who lived alone. And I would say he was probably about 30 years old and he was having sleep issues, couldn't figure out why. And as I watched them back on the VHS recorders, that's back in those days with the VHS tapes, we would put the tapes in and we had winters. As I watched them, he got up and he started this clawing movement, And when they looked at it, they realized that during the night, this person was having nocturnal seizures which never were picked up because he obviously didn't date or go out a lot, yeah, yeah. Uh, sleep over anyhow. He was sleeping alone. <laughs> so he was having these seizures and nobody had picked up on it before. So that's why you just never know. And that's something you wouldn't see on a home test either. When you mention a home test, uh, most of them aren't picking up cardiac signals, they'll just pick up a rate. Uh, so the poor, <clears throat> I mentioned before, might not come out. People will just assume that person moved and There's nothing going on there just a slower rate Uh, or something like this doesn't pick up so it's a much more complex test so after they're all wired up we'll put them through some calibrations make sure all the signals are working and they will start to go to sleep uh sometimes they'll have some sleep on their back because obviously with gravity it will show more if there's obstructions in the airway you'll see obstructive apnea is easier Uh, i wasn't a tyrant for that because my feeling was we already put 25 wires on them. I just want them to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. I'll probably see their apneas anyhow. And if not, after an hour or two, it's easier to go in the room, ask them to roll over if they're half asleep, just to get rid of you. Most of the time they would roll over, go to sleep. Uh, so you'll monitor all that and make sure that the tracing is good. So when the doctors have it, they'll be able to interpret good data. And that's very important. You wanna have clean data. It's a challenge sometimes because we would do from kids two, three years old, so they're not a lot of fun trying to keep full sets of electrodes or people from a group home that are challenged, sometimes down syndrome because of their face, they tend to have sleep apnea, but you have to get a PSG, you have to get a polysomnography uh, diagnostic study, Yeah. so we would do those. After that, the doctor will look at that, make an assessment, that's where the AHI comes in, apnea, hypopnea index, They'll look and see how many apneas they have per hour. They will call the person, go over the study with them, go over their sleep staging. Uh, Obviously they've gone through sleep hygiene, hopefully. Uh, Some other things to make sure what else is going on, any medications, then they will have them come back. They will do a titration with the mask, try to get them acclimated, and a good tech is a good coach. So I think really my strengths, if I have to say, in that phase of my life was, I was coaching travel ball and I think coaching people on CPAP is really important because if they don't know that they're getting better, even that night, it's a struggle because they're tired to begin with. So they don't have a lot of patience, but I was able to tell them, look, I saw your first night study and this is what this night looks like. And it's totally better. And I, again, not making promises that aren't true. Not saying this is going to be easy say it's an adjustment. You may start off wearing the CPAP mask for two hours a night, but it wasn't built in a day. You've been sleeping a different way all your life. So you are going to change. Your brain has to pick up the changes you have to adjust. Just like my daughter did with asthma medication. You know, We had to get in the routine. That is what you do. Other people take shots. That's what they do. So after they get the CPAP uh, and hopefully they'll do well and we'll follow them up with compliance after that. Uh, that's the tough part because they really could be more coaches. That's where I think we all fail that once they get through all this testing, a lot of times these people are left on an Island and it's a struggle and you want to get them within that first 90 days.
0: Yeah. Well, all I'd say, Brendan, is uh, if there's any gods up there, God bless you because I wouldn't have the patience to do the coaching for treatment with people.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. I like, I like that because, you know, like anything else, people come back. One of the things I like about this, we actually had, a gentleman called a doctor today and she related or he related that it really changed his life as far as driving. He was driving tired and a lot of these people don't realize what the difference is yeah. so they know the difference. And what I told her is like that's really nice that he told you as the doctor but I wish he would write a few words to the text because when you're doing this night after night and you don't see those results and you don't have that connection with the day staff or the doctors, yeah, it kind of also feel a little isolated, too. Um, They'll they'll joke and say, all we get is the daytime's leftovers when the vendors come through and they leave the donuts. I'll see pictures on some of the Facebook sites. Oh, we're the night shift and we'll see half a donut, you know? And it is true. So I have to be cognizant of the fact to make sure that the messages that I get from the patients that they filter down, and even better, if they'll talk to them, I'd love to have them in a Zoom call say, talk to these techs. to encourage them that what they're what they're spending their nights on in their livelihood uh is worthwhile and it may save somebody out on the road as well as this person and their family
0: yeah because it is a it is um a lonely endeavor like i never worked as a sleep tech but i've i've um i've been trained as a as a sleep tech at the university of western australia they offer courses there um through the uni to train people in in to be a, you know, a sleep technician, sleep technologist. So, and many people who work in labs go and do a formal training mm. to kind of upskill or people who want to get into the industry do it. I did it just as a kind of a precursor, um, to my PhD. And at the time I did, it, I was kind of a bit pissed off because my professor was pushing me to do it. And I was like, what's the point in doing this? I'm more a kind of a chronobiology applied person. Cause that's where I came out of, you know, doing an industry and that's where I wanted to go to in sports, but I'm actually mm. really glad I did it. And I ended up um, running my own study in the lab as well, looking at the prevalence of sleep disorders in rugby players. Uh, mm-hmm. Working in conjunction with Madison Jones and her paper, looking at melatonin and um, cortisol levels in netball players, and it's it's quite interesting. But I will tell you what, with all due respect, I would not like to do it as a full time job. It is a hard mm-hmm. job. It is really hard. And like you say, it's not just about staying up overnight, because you know you kind of meet and greet the person coming in, you set them up. Mm-hmm. Then they might, you know, want to watch TV or, you know, have something to eat before they go to bed. Then they go to bed. Then when they get up, you know, you got to take all the wires off, clean all the equipment and then go home. So it's minimum 12 hours. Like some days were 14 hours, you know, it's a long day. And plus you can't sleep overnight when everybody else is sleeping. Like everybody, like I remember walking into a room one day and I had all these rugby players and the guy goes, man, you look like shit. There's not any sleep last night. I said, well, no, I said, we have to stay awake and watch like all the monitors and make sure we're getting, oh, sure, we're not going to, like we're, gonna... we're okay. And he says, yeah. and he thought like I was like doing like a fire watch or something, you know? And I said, no, I said, mm-hmm. what we have to do is maintain really, you know, kind of, Cause, because they're not like, you know, an at-risk population. I said, we just got to yeah. really maintain signal quality in case the electrode drops off or something goes on. Or what happens if you want to go to the toilet? I said, who's going to plug you out and sort of, you know, look after you? Mm-hmm. Oh, I never thought of that, he says i don't know how you do that. He says, I I I I'd be absolutely shattered, you know. And I said, Yeah, I am fucking shattered. I'm wrecked. Yeah. You know, and I was even doing like a couple of nights a week um, for, you know, four or five months. And I just said at the end of that study, man, oh man, I would not like to be a sleep tech. This would, this would, this would kill me. It's it's tough work. It's really important work to do. It enables the whole diagnostic pathway and treatment pathway, is the precursor mm-hmm. to that, without that you can't do anything. But Jesus Christ, Brandon, fair play to you for doing them for so long because that is a hard job, man. I got a lot of respect for that job.
1: Yeah, about eight or nine years. And these guys, they, they're, they're a special breed. Now, they're special people. And there's a bunch of Facebook sites that I frequent with the sweep techs because I, I still like to be in their company because I don't want to lose sight of that lifestyle and, and what they do. And there's a lot of people that are passionate about what they do. And they don't get a lot of I don't get a lot of respect. They get that half a donut, you know, that's left over from daytime. So anytime I could, you know, try to make them understand how important it is and push them forward. Now there's some people that that just, they take the job. That's what they want to do and go home and they don't want to pursue it further. Yeah, And that's paycheck, you know? And, but for me, as soon as I got into it, I was just so fascinated by how much we didn't know and how much we don't know. And that's why, no disrespect to people out there, but whenever they talk about this sleep expert, I'm like, there's nobody yet that could tell us why we sleep. So how can anybody be a sleep expert? (laughs) They're very qualified people. I have a hard time calling anybody an expert that can't tell me why we do something. And that's not disrespectful. That's just saying we have a lot more to go. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's, it's fun because every day, I'll send articles to you, or you'll pick something out, or somebody will send me something. And I'll be like, hmm, "Do you ever hear they ask me what is that all about?" And I was like, "No." I was like, "Okay, now I have to go find that out because somebody's <laughs> talking about this questionnaire." And and just one thing feeds off another, and it never gets dull. And my wife will tell you, whenever something comes up and there's some kind of accident, I'm always doing the forensic sleep on the person. Oh, there was a car accident. That guy looks a little big. I wonder. If Everything when you were sleep. I'm like, probably is, you know? So yeah. that's
0: what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's good, like, you know, to be slightly obsessed. I'm, I'm the same as well. And so last night I was sitting on the couch and my wife said, like, what are you doing? So I'm talking to my mate in Long Island. He said to me, he's asking me questions about a survey. And, you know, we're sitting there just watching some crappy show, you know, at like eight or nine o'clock. And, you know, and I said, oh, I'm just yeah, writing back and I'll be talking to tomorrow. And then, um, yeah. so I get like, yeah, lots of texts off Brendan about you know stuff back and forth. if it's not about sleep, it's about baseball lately, so um, <laughs> yeah, it's good, it's 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 good fun. I've become a baseball fan lately, so it's good um brendan good. over the over the last um probably definitely over the last five years, but in the last probably ten years, you know, working in the industry, I've seen many people come and kind of spruik remote or diagnostic testing that can be done in these areas where we don't have access to a hospital. Right. Um, and so we've got these like level one PSGs, level two, level three, level four, level one being in the laboratory or a hospital. But then we have these kind of ambulatory or home-based studies, levels two, three, and four. They've become more and more pop- popular in terms of more and more people are making them. They're, the prices come down. Right they're getting easier to put on as well. Like you don't have to have a, you know, a background in sleep technology to put these things on. They're becoming highly portable. Is that, is that starting to erode your industry in terms of jobs or how, how is that changing the sleep technologist world?
1: Well, I, I think it has a place, the home sleep studies. Uh, we're doing a lot more of them. And, and when you look during COVID, they really came in to be a big help yeah. because a lot of people didn't want to come to a lab but who were the people that were really coming down with COVID that were severe, were the obese people that probably do have sleep apnea. So now their immune system is uh, kind of shot. We want to get them treated. So we were able to treat them even during COVID if they didn't want to come in the lab and we had all the protocols for those that did. Um, We'd send them a home test and then we diagnosed them and we did a mail out to their house with the home test get the diagnosis for the home test for sleep apnea. And then actually we could send them an auto titrating machine, which would automatically, and it's the same kind I actually I use, it actually ramps up and down based on your railway starting to collapse. So you're not at most of the people in the old days would complain the pressure is too high because basically we set them for the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario was somebody on their back in REM early in the morning, because that's where the muscle tone yeah. is relaxed for REM and their airway is relaxed. They've been sleeping all night. Diaphragm is a little tired if they're not on sleep app usually. So we wanted to keep them at that pressure. So no matter what happened, uh, they would be able to get through it without a napping. But realistically, that REM time is 20, 25%. We have them at this high pressure at a time where in stage two they really don't need to be up that high. So they're getting all this extra air. So a lot of people swear by the auto titration because it will back down when it when it's not needed. The other side of the coin is some people though will say that by the time that auto titration starts, I've already had my sleep fragmented by that event. So it doesn't kick in the algorithm soon enough. So there's there's two parties. Uh, but to answer your question, I think home sleep studies are here to stay. They're going to be a bigger part, but I don't think a good sleep lab in a hospital is going away because I think there are complex patients that are going to filter through and they'll always have those types of patients in the hospital. And I think what you will see that we don't have is more sleep navigators, just like the dietary educators and the sleep navigators. I built a program here. Any day I go in and look at it, I put in comorbidities of obesity, um, Uh, A-fib, diabetes, high blood pressure, and a couple others. And I say, give me those, and and there's a good chance that those people have sleep apnea, right? And maybe nobody's ever talked to them about it. So you just have to then do a stop-bang questionnaire, ask them if they snore, uh, breathing issues like that. People go for surgery. Pre-surgery, they do stop-bang. So those people that score high, they really should get treated. Uh, If not before the surgery, definitely after. So if they start doing more, they don't really have to advertise to these patients. They just have to realize and be sensitive to these patients exist and you're saving money if that's how it's going to motivate you because they won't come through. Your COPD patient comes through, cost you a fortune. You deal with their crisis and then you send them home again. And guess what? They come back because nobody's talked about sleep. So if you deal with their sleep in the long run hopefully their mortality and their readmissions will their mortality will uh, increase and their readmissions will decrease yeah yeah so i'm not afraid of home tests i think they have a place i just think they have to be in the hands of the right people uh because an example we had a doctor outside primary decided he was going to be a sleep guru and started with his home sleep tests and bought a few and This lady showed up at our sleep center. She said, I've been on uh, antidepressants because he did a home sleep study on her, and she didn't have any apnea. So he assumed, oh, she's complaining, she's tired at night, she has no interest in anything. She's just depressed, she's at that age. Now the lady was smart enough to know that wasn't the issue. So she came to us, went through a sleep study and what we found out with her was PLMs that we mentioned those periodic limb movements so basically, every 20 seconds, like clockwork, and PLMs are fun when you're a night tech because you can almost like Caden say, and now. And it's very rhythmic. Where yes. This leg leg twitch would go, and her brainwaves would change to wake. Um, people with fibromyalgia, same thing, alpha intrusion. So it would basically fragment the sleep as if you were beside her like this all night. She cannot wake up fully. Yeah, yeah. yeah may not wake up fully, but it's going to fragment the sleep so she can't get into a deep sleep. So she was right that she got misprescribed, and it was only because she went for a full test that she was able to come off antidepressants. And what she really needed for a periodic limb was just to increase her iron. Was I was going, going to iron. say,
0: yeah, uh, iron supplementation is one of the biggest things you can do there. Yeah, yeah simple thing.
1: So, so that's that's an example of why the home test is the wrong ends without the full arsenal excuse me, the full arsenal and the full understanding of the limitations uh, could be problematic. But if you're talking about, you know, an athlete for something that's snoring and and breathing, then sure, give that a first shot to see see what it shows and then go from there.
0: Yeah. Now, Brendan, you're also involved in the kind of, we'll say the overall, I think, what would you describe Like the regulatory body, is it? Or like the kind of the the covering body?
1: The American Association of Sleep Tax, I'm on the board um I, I got very active. I was a, an Irish rebel uh, back at the beginning they weren't they weren't doing enough so I kept firing letters to them and then I would run and they would not vote for me. Um, and then finally they said, you know you have all these great ideas but you never volunteer so I actually started volunteering yeah and I was on their committee for a while and then I ran again and I got elected. And after I got elected, funny enough, they changed the whole nomination process. (laughs) Now they don't have open elections. (laughs) So I don't know if that's good or bad, but I was the last one. I think it serves a purpose. Being on the board now, it's kind of smart that a lot of industries, when you look at them, they don't look to go out and get people voted. They look for where are we lacking? What do we need? And who has those skills? And I think that's a better idea rather than get five of me, which are just telling them, this is what we're not doing. Uh, but to get other people that maybe have uh, a better grasp on the medical equipment industry or yeah. the dental industry and what they're doing. And, you know, now we're coming up with Inspire. I don't know if you've got Inspire over there. Have you heard of Inspire? No. Inspire is an implant for people that don't want to wear CPAP masks. So it's basically an implant that actually you go, you get scoped. And if the, blockages behind your tongue, what it does is it pulses the tongue forward.
0: Oh, so sorry. That- I have I have heard of it. Sorry, I have. Yeah, I haven't heard of the brand name, but I've heard of the concept. Yes, I, I saw Electron yeah. a couple of years ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: So we just started doing our first, and so now the techs are actually titrating with voltage rather than the mass. So we had our first, and, and again, um, it's going to be an interesting uh, concept of who's going to use this, who's, what type of person goes for that type of surgery. Is it the type of person that is totally adamant about using CPAP? Well, are they a good candidate for this? Because what happens is they have this insertion, it's a surgery, so it's invasive. Uh, Then they have it all done. They go home, they heal for a month, they get used to low voltage, and then they come here and we titrate them to see. So you're raising the voltage. And is it gonna be the same personality that didn't wanna do CPAP that says, I can't take the voltage, you know, you got to turn it down. So we haven't done that many. And I think the definition of success is probably like oral appliances, that it's not going to replace CPAP. But in a case where a person is definitely not going to use CPAP, it's better than doing nothing. Yeah. So again, and the oral appliances, when I started, uh, I was back in the early days, oral appliances, and they would come in and some of them were, I hate to tell this guy, but he's actually worse than he was you know, before he did anything. (laughs) So whatever way they've closed his mouth, he's actually worse. It's like his age when he came in was 20 and now he's 32. So they've come a long way. And and I I believe in oral appliances now for people that won't do CPAP. Um, And I think this is just at that point where it's the beginning, but they'll fine tune it and get it better as it goes along. So there'll be another option. I do see even a pill down the long road, I see
0: some research using that pill for So, Yeah. That'll be interesting. Like you said, like you said, it's an ever evolving field and changing so rapidly and still a young area. We're going to see, it's hard to kind of predict or hypothesize what will actually come out in the future. You know, it's going to be, Mm -hmm. it's going to be really interesting. What we learn from other medical sciences or what we learn, even from non-medical sciences, you know, that comes in, what type of technology can disrupt the market completely. Like, will we have, um, a drone in somebody's room just constantly flying on silent mapping them overnight as a sleep study yeah. you know, uh, non-invasive not on them as opposed to having any wires so who knows what we might see in the future.
1: When I was at tech I was saying they would have that I, I don't know the science to it but I said it'd be nice and easy if we can send a man to the moon, why can't we put some kind of laser lights that will actually, will just mark spots Yeah, and it will follow that spot, you know without actually putting any wires on them. Yeah. Just a laser beam hitting the target that we place on these people rather than the whole thing. So uh, they're getting there. We're coming a long way from Dr. The Met and the Rockets. I don't know if he ever told you that story. No. He, used to, he, he had a contract uh, with the National Institute of Health, I think back in the day, to do research. And he was working. He got put up in an apartment in Manhattan and they wanted to do sleep studies so he was doing them up in this apartment so he put out an ad for people to pay them to sleep I think it was like $25 so who could who wants to sign up for that except college students so he got this college girl and she went up there and she did the study and went out well it happened she was a rockette so she went back you know the Radio City Rockettes the dancing troupe. yeah they're big, big and famous in New York so she went back and told all the rest of the Rockettes there's a doctor and he's paying you just to sleep. So they said, well, we could all use the money, so they went. So finally, after all these people going up, they would come down in the morning because of all the glue from the electrodes everything, their hair was a mess. And finally, the doorman stopped them and said, I know what you're doing up there, Dr. DeMille. <laughs> he totally saw these women coming every night <laughs> and leaving. And that that was the beginning of our sleep research. <laughs> <laughs> that that is
0: that is a great that is a great way to finish this episode today, Brendan. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll we'll finish with that and people can make of that story what they wish. <laughs> Brendan, if people want to follow you on social media, get in contact with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: I'm probably on LinkedIn is is where I spend a lot of my time. So um if they just look up my name, Brendan Duffy. LinkedIn, I think it should be very apparent with sleep. Uh and that's
0: probably it. Yeah, no worries. We will uh, put some links in the show notes here for everybody to uh, to uh, contact Brendan and follow his work. And Brendan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast this morning. Really appreciate it. If you can just uh, hang on the line, Brendan, for a moment, um, we'll wrap up. Um, for, right. for everybody else, thank you very much for, for uh, tuning in today. Um, if you haven't heard, we have the Sleep for Performance Seminar on August 12th. That'll be Western Australian Standard Time. So that may be in the evening for people on the West Coast of America. Abstracts are open now to submit an abstract for this. It's a free seminar. We'll be selecting the 12 best presentations to go forward to be to speak at that seminar. There is three cash prizes, $500, $250, and $100. Um, all presentations will be recorded and put to YouTube afterwards. And the voting will be done by a panel of experts and also by your peers. So it'll be a 50-50 split with the, um, the in there. So make sure you sign up for those and it's free for anybody to watch no matter where you are in the world and you will get a link um, to register after you register you will get a link to watch the recordings and it'll be on YouTube as well so it'll be in three different hours across the day to cater for many time zones okay head over to sleepforperformance.com to find out more information follow me on Twitter at sleepforperform usual handle sleepforperformance over at LinkedIn at sleepforperform on Instagram and you can email me Ian iandoonican at sleepforperformance.com.au Until then, sleep well.